Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. So as we begin, uh, we're going to talk about rediscovering your testimony. And with that, um, I, I want to just, as a matter of introduction, I just want to talk a little bit about myself uh, kind of where I've come from. I've been a part of this church for two years now, and, uh, and I've been part of a, a solid ministry in the Southern Metro uh, for almost 40 years. I actually, it was over 40 years. And so uh, I come to you, and I want to just share a little bit about my background. If I may, I just want to come down here to the, to the floor. I wrote out some thoughts uh, that explains a little bit about myself. And so first of all, I want to talk about my family and get to know my family. You've met my wife already. Uh, my son, Josiah, and his wife, uh, Carrie. We have two grandchildren, uh, Hazel. You've met Hazel. Um, and she's just, just a lovely granddaughter. And Hugo. Hugo is one year old. Uh, Hazel uh, is four years old. And uh, they've been a blessing to us. And we're at that stage and cycle of life where we just enjoy the kids. And uh, we can spoil them. Uh, we, can, we can do all kinds of things that I couldn't do when I was actually a, a, the parent. So uh, you don't understand what I'm talking about. So with that, we also have a grand doggie. His name is, her name is Winnie. Uh, I don't have a picture of that. But, but Hazel and Hugo have really been a blessing to us. A little bit about growing up on the farm. I was raised on the farm uh, in, near uh, Sioux City, Iowa. Uh, there through my, until I turned 18 and, and moved to the cities. Uh, I want to just give you a sense what farm life uh, is, is about. And on that uh, farm, uh, I had a chance to work very hard uh, without pay. Uh, you just you learn to do that. And, and also understand why OSHA doesn't apply to farming, because that's amazing uh, what farmers get by with uh, as far as shaking your head yes uh, on that. And uh, so with that, we had um, cows, we milked cows, uh, we had feeder, feeder cattle, uh, we had uh, beefalo. It was a cross between buffalo and, and, and cattle. It's an amazing uh, animal uh, on that, and it was really something that we had an opportunity to, to have. had chickens, uh, chickens for eggs. Uh, we had uh, horses. Horses were for fun. They had no other purpose whatsoever other than to have fun. Um, and we had, um, we had hogs uh, a couple different times in my, my uh, farming career, if you call it that. Um, we raised hogs, and I raised them simply to, to try to fund uh, my fun stuff. And uh, so um, I've been in healthcare uh, as, as a non-patient care, but in healthcare for nearly 40 years. And my first experience of saving a life was having mouth-to-snout resuscitation with a baby pig. <laughs> pig was born, was not breathing, and uh, you know, this is my livelihood. This is how I'm gonna earn money. And so, so I had that mouth-to-snout resuscitation, and that was my beginnings uh, in healthcare. And so that was quite an experience for me. Um, we would planted, uh, we had corn, beans, uh, we oats, hay, alfalfa, we, we would uh, uh, cut, uh, rake, bale, alfalfa, hay, haul in thousands of bales of hay. It was just really a lot of hard work uh, on, on farming life. And, uh, but it was something I'll never forget. It instilled in me a, a, um, a, a purpose, uh, hard work, uh, something that I brought with me and my parents. Uh, really, I'm, I'm very thankful that they did that uh, in my life uh, and, and had that opportunity to be part of the farm. So my early childhood memories on the farm. I remember uh, go, having a tree house and a mulberry tree. 
I'd go up to that mulberry tree, and, and I'd spend hours up there eating those, those dark uh, black-brown mulberries, and you'd have stains on your hands and come down your arms, and your clothes were all full of mulberry stains that just didn't come out for days. And my mother just, just couldn't understand why in the world I would go up there in that mulberry tree, but it was really a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed that. I remember the party line. How many remember having a party line? There's like five of us in this room uh, that remember the party line. I remember Irene uh, Ryan across the, across the road talking to Helen Peterson down the road and hearing in those conversations. And as a little kid, I'd just pick it up and just listen. and couldn't understand why. Why would they just spend all this time just talking? And, uh, but it was really a lot of fun uh, with that. I'd ride my bike. Uh, I also uh, remember as far as uh, uh, going uh, through um, the winters, you'd have coal, uh, you'd have, uh, sometimes we'd burn corn cobs, and, and uh, um, it was just to supplement the heat on the farm. And uh, it was just uh, quite, quite an experience if you'd never had that experience before. I started driving a tractor when I was 11 years old. I started driving a car and a pickup between farms when I was 12 years old. And, and it's something that mothers just cringe. First time they see you on a little John Deere uh, A tractor, I could barely reach the pedals. And, and I knew that, she knew that I was going to have an accident. And, uh, you know, it was very, you know, as God was, had his hand on you just to prevent, you know, that we're living today. That's, that's really uh, what it's all about. But growing up, my teenage years, I'm going to share just a few thoughts. I wrote and typed these out for a purpose, and I'll explain that purpose here in a little bit. I was involved in high school sports, had football, wrestling, and track. I, I lettered in all three sports. Uh, I had a small class, a class of about 60, so we had about 240 students in, in our high school. And we would compete, and, and uh, there would be a lot of, a lot of uh, sports and activities taking place. I remember I ate my first Big Mac at McDonald's when the sign said, four million served in Sioux City, Iowa. That was, that was an amazing thing to have that first Big Mac. I can remember the taste of, the, of that big, big Mac. I took my first typing class when I was a freshman, and I learned on a manual Underwood typewriter. And you had to type 60 words a minute before they'd let you go to the electric typewriter. We had two of them in, in the room, and you had to work 60 words a minute. I mean, you farmhands, you know, you're going to get 60 words a minute, but I actually accomplished that. And uh, it's quite an amazing thing to hear all those typewriters going all at once. I bought my first car when I was 16. So I sold those kids, that I, uh, those pigs that I kissed along the way. You know, so I had, to, I had to kiss a few pigs in the past, you know. So to, I bought it for $2,695. That was, that was a lot of money uh, back then. It was an amazing car. It was a Ford Mustang Mach 1, 351. Uh, under the hood. Cleveland, 351 Cleveland. It wasn't that Windsor thing. It was that Cleveland engine under the hood. So, so there's a difference in case you didn't know. So that was my experience with the car, and I, I felt really proud about that car. And, and uh, it was something that, that uh, you know, you just, you just would drive it to school, and, and you felt like you're really cool, you know? And uh, that was part of that time during, during those high school years. Had an amazing eight-track tape player that, that would just, would really rock. It just really rock. Uh, anybody here remember eight tracks? Uh, there's a few of us uh, in the room. I had this case, I had about 48 track tapes, you know, took up the entire back seat of your car. But with that, things started to really crank up in my own life. I had my first 
accident when I was 16. I had my first speeding ticket when I was, when I was 16. I had my first engine that I blew, uh, and that was that Mach 1 Mustang, that 351 Cleveland, when I was 16, because I was not really serving it very well. I lost my license when I was 16. It's the worst thing in the world to have a teenager lose their license because you had that speeding ticket. Truth of the matter is, it really wasn't so bad because the car wasn't running anyway. <laughs> it's in the shop getting that engine overhaul. But it brings me to these experiences that we have in, in school, and, and I want to talk about a friend of mine, a very close personal friend. I want to share a story about this individual that I knew, and it had a very profound impact on my life when I was about 17 years of age. This guy describes three near-death experiences. I'm going to talk about those just for a few moments. And the first one, they had a load of uh, students in, in a car. They're traveling down a gravel road, a side road, uh, outside of uh, Sioux City. That was the place to go, Sioux City, Iowa, Sergeant Bluff, Iowa. It's the place to be. And the fog was so thick that you couldn't see more than two feet in front of the car, if that. And so they're driving down the road, probably, you know, going too fast, the way it was, but they're coming up this embankment, and it was railroad tracks that were there. And, and he asked the, the individuals in the car, he says, shall I stop or not? Because it's an uncontrolled intersection, train tracks. He says, ah, no, there's never a train on the tracks. Just, just go right on through. You don't have to worry about it. But he stopped because he's just doing the opposite, just out of spite of, of his friends. And so they stopped, and as they started going through the railroad tracks, you could see the shadow of the train, uh, between the trains as, as it went by. They would have driven directly underneath that train had they had continued going uh, through that, that uncontrolled intersection. He described it as a God moment. Uh, he, he really sensed uh, the, the presence of the Lord in that vehicle, not really understanding what it was all about, but he, but he knew that, that there was some power, some higher power that was working in his life, and, and uh, he described that as a, a very profound moment. Next thing that he did is he's talking about going through uh, a weekend uh, of drinking, and, and he had a cousin that was had a very bad influence on his life. Older cousin come down and to go out on weekends and, and they, would, they would drink and they'd do all kinds of things, things that they should not be doing. And, and uh, that was one of the things that he, he felt was really uh, something that, that uh, just, just part of living at that point because everyone seemed to be doing it. They were going and they're drinking one night. Uh, they're also, he was introduced to, to speed and, and also to weed at the same time. And they just put away a lot of, lot of beer at that point, and they were taking speed, and they were also smoking marijuana. And through that experience, he was talking about them driving down this gravel road. About, he, he described it precisely at 73 miles an hour because he remembers looking at the speedometer and saying, you know what, I'm probably going too fast. It was dark, and he didn't know it that there was a lateral ditch on both sides that was, that was full of water from, from all the rains that were taking place at that time. His cousin was passed out in the seat next to him, just totally passed out, totally wasted. And he describes the moment when it was just like someone turned the lights out, and he passed out behind the wheel of that car while they're driving 73 miles an hour. When he got to his, uh, the point where he, he came to and started being aware of the surroundings, he recognized that the car was parked in the middle of that gravel road, in neutral, and running. And he had no way of explaining how that happened. 
He described that as a God encounter, a God moment. And he sensed the very presence of the Lord uh, in that car. Really, again, not totally understanding uh, what that was all about, but he described that as as, uh, an experience uh, with him. The third story, near-death experience, was in the wintertime. We had icy roads at that point, and he was driving down uh, the typical road that you'd be driving, uh, a a, uh, concrete road, cement road, and he is coming upon a bridge, and he lost control of the car, and the car was sliding and kind of just going all different directions. He was headed right to the bridge barrier of that, uh, at that time. And right before he hit the barrier, is like something pushed the car totally into the middle of the road and was totally unexplainable. He said there's just no way. And he had, he had a friend in the car with him that, that actually... Uh, testified that this was really did happen, like someone pushed the car to the middle of the road. They missed that bridge barrier, but he stopped when he got over that bridge, got out and looked at that front right fender, and there was a two-inch scratch on the right fender of that car. You probably have already guessed by now that that, that young man that I was talking about was myself. And it's very profound as we, we look at this and and God has a way of bringing us to the point in our life where, where we, we need to, we need to um, move in, in a direction that, that, that understand that God is working in our lives. And, and I really appreciate that testimony uh, that uh, um, Bianca was sharing this morning because it's talking about life experience with her. So with that, I just got to show you what's happening to my computer right now. Uh, it's just gone bonkers. A, uh, someone doesn't want me to share this, this message. So with that, fortunately, I brought notes. <laughs> so let me go to the notes, because my computer has just failed me. It's one of those fears when you use technology, amen, uh, that you just kind of wonder, are they, are they going to hold out for you what they will? So today we're talking about rediscovering your testimony. The testimony that I just shared with you is something that has had an impact in my life. It's what brought me to Minnesota. It's what brought me to uh, decide to go to Bible college. And, and it's through those experiences that we have um, in, in life that we recognize that God is speaking to us. And when I was um, 17, I had my own apartment. And um, I was in my, my uh, apartment doing laundry one night. And we had an individual that came to the laundry room, and he started witnessing to me. And his name was Jim Simlaska. And he started sharing about his own experience. He was sharing about how God has, had ministered in his life, and how the Lord has brought him through so many things, and it was a life-changing experience for him. And we continued to talk and share, and it was at a point in my life where I was very, very lonely. I had these experiences of, of just not really understanding these God encounters, but yet he was explaining that, that Jesus was really trying to to uh, uh, speak to me and to touch my life and touch my heart. So through that, in the summer of 1976, during that time, I invited him down to my apartment, and, and uh, he shared some more, and, and, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior at that moment in my apartment because Jim Sam Laska decided to come and talk to me and share Jesus with me. It's an amazing experience. The scripture tells us on the next slide, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. It says, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. 
For me, it was a new experience. It was a new identity. It was a new nature. It was a a, a new purpose in my life, a new power, a new lordship, a new understanding. As I listed here, it was like that new peace that, that comes over us when we recognize that we are a new creature in Christ, a new creation that takes place, and we have a new destiny in life. Our lives are changed, totally changed. We were singing about that this morning in these verses. So Pastor Dale was, has been speaking on a Rediscover series. He's talked about rediscovering the cross, rediscovering purpose, rediscovering essentials. And again, our topic this morning is rediscovering uh, your testimony. I want to read Revelation chapter uh, 12, verse 7. I have that written out on the slide for you this morning. And read along as I, as I read this to you. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. And he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. This is our text this morning. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives unto death. So the context that I read here is there was a war between the devil and his angels and Michael and his angels. And Michael fighting in the name of God won. Amen for that. However, the scene shifts to earth with the fall of the dragon. And and John comments on that. First he says he's called the accuser of the brethren. And one of the translations says the accuser of of the brothers and the sisters. It's talking about Christians here. And apparently he had access to the presence of God to accuse Christians at that point. Second, the battle itself describes, uh, it, it described here is that we no longer hear Michael and his angels, but we have the scene moving down to the deeds of the earth and human beings. So it's clear that we have a parallel uh, story here. We have the battle that's taking place in the heavenlies, but we also have a battle that's taking place here on earth. How many know that we are living on earth and we do have battles every day? We experience them. We see the word the enemy, the devil here, or, or, or the dragon, as he's described here, is actually trying to, he's the accuser of us. He's trying to get us to, to not serve the things of God. So let's look at that battle for a moment. There's this great cosmic battle that's taking place between God and Satan, between light and between darkness, between the dragon and, and the lamb. It's a battlefield for our souls. It's also a battle uh, for, for um, us to, to reject the purpose and plan of God. Battlefield for souls of men and for us women in this room as well. It's a kill or be killed situation. We see it on every hand. And those who have been serving the Lord for a number of years, you'll understand that that battle seems to be intensifying in this day and in this age. We sense it on every hand. We can't turn, go anywhere without seeing some form of that battle taking place around us. Jesus said this, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other, Matthew 6, 24. The apostle Paul said this, To whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, servants you are. James said, Therefore submit to God, 
Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Peter says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, everybody say adversary. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He says, resist him. 1 Peter 5, 6. So who's the enemy? We go to the book of Revelation, it talks about that great dragon, that serpent of old is described. He's called the devil and Satan, and it says that he deceives the whole world. That is his purpose, is to deceive. He has no power. His power has been taken away on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross for you and I, he, that power has been, been removed from him. But it says that he deceives, and that is his purpose and his plan. So that's his plot. That's his scheme. He knows his time is short. Talk about that in Revelation 12, 12. And there's an all-out war for the seed of the woman. There's a seed, and you can kind of look at, talk about the seed of Jesus. He tried to destroy Jesus when he came on the scene. But also in the last part of chapter, uh, of verse 17 of chapter 12, that dragon went out and he made war with the rest of the offspring. We are the offspring. We are the children of God. We are the ones that he's doing battle of. And it says, the rest of the offspring who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Everybody say testimony. That's our key theme this morning is that of the testimony. So Satan's scheme is simple. He is subtle. He'll do whatever he can uh, to, to uh, destroy our lives. But Jesus describes what his scheme is in John 10 and 10. It says this. It says a thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his plan. That's his plot. That's his battle plan, so to speak. So if we look at his, his plot of, of degeneration, or his plot to, to steal, kill, and destroy, I want to give you a definition of this. To steal, by definition, is to rob, to waste, pervert, distract, or corrupt. To kill, by definition, is to cause irreparable damage and scars, to ruin our potential. To destroy, by definition, to utterly annihilate, to bring to non-existence or non-remembrance. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And wherever we're at right now, if we're not ready for that battle and prepared for that battle, he will do what he can to bring waste and destruction and, and he'll want to totally uh, destroy uh, and bring to no remembrance of our Christian walk and our testimony. But we know that Satan's a liar, amen? He's a sham. He was stripped of any real power on the, on the cross except for the power to, de to deceive. He, he's in, he, he wants the world to think that he is in control and that the world is overwhelmingly under his sway and his control. That we are losers, that we're weak, that we're incapable of resisting the temptations that will throw our way. He wants us to believe that. He doesn't want us to conquer the evil and the deception in this world. He uses the things of the world as pawns in an attempt to deceive us. We can look around us. He'll use social media, use the internet, he uses pornography, he uses TV. Uh, it just goes on and on. Uh, the newspapers, television, movies, uh, philosophy. He uses all kinds of things as his pawn. He attacks our mind, our will, and our emotions. Much of our adversary's attack is psychological. It's a battle of the mind as he launches, as the scripture says, those fiery darts. 
Have you ever experienced fiery darts from the enemy? And you understand what I'm talking about. He'll do whatever he can to get our thoughts off the things of God, our thoughts off of our salvation, our thoughts off of our testimony, what God has done in our own lives, and he'll try to get those thoughts turned around to think that we have no control, that we have no influence over him. I'd like to read 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. This is the NIV. Please read along with me. For though we live in a world, we do not wage war as the world does. Our weapons, the weapons we fight with, are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So the scripture tells us that we're to take those thoughts, those attacks that Satan will bring to our mind and our thought life, and we're to take authority over them, and we're to take them captive, captive to make them obedient unto Jesus Christ. And we do that by having the word of God in our life. The word of God is so important for us. He tries to keep our minds muddled, to try to keep us confused, defense, defensive, and discouraged, because he knows that once we conquer him and conquer those areas of attacks, those fiery darts on our thoughts and our minds, if we conquer that, we can destroy his kingdom. But there's good news. The good news is that there's another plan. And that plan is that the Lamb's plan, Jesus' plan. You sang a song this morning talking about the Lamb of God. It's the Lamb of God that was slain before the very foundations of the world. God devised a beautiful plan to rescue you and me from our sins through the death of his son, the Lamb of God, Revelations 13.8. And God describes that uh, uh, plan, and it's described by Jesus also in John 10.10, when Jesus, Satan says, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, I come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly, John 10.10. Let's look at that plan just for a moment, that plan of spiritual renewal that you and I can have and that we do have. By definition, to give. I use the term give instead of have because I believe it's something, he, uh, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus comes to give. Instead of taking away, he imparts, he gives that we might have victory over these things. To give by definition is to impart, to add to, to give something not possessed before. Life, by definition, to direct into purpose and fulfillment, to release potential abundantly, by definition, to bring to complete fruition and total fulfillment of that potential in our life. When I was 17 years old, I had no clue what that potential was. When those things were taking place in my life, I experienced the presence of the Lord, I had no clue what my destiny was. I was just living in the moment. And some of us in this room may be just living in the moment thinking that we have no, no hope or no, no way of getting past the pain and the suffering and, and the issues of life that we're struggling with. But there is a hope. Jesus says he came to give, to give life, and to give it more abundantly. So God uses a gentle symbol of a lamb to represent his son. And for those that are taking notes, and, 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 you're, and we'll get to your, the, the text uh, here in just a moment, but I just want to just mention that John 1.29, it says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
1 Peter 1, 18 and, and, and through 20, it says that, that knowing that we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, it goes on to say, but with the precious blood of Jesus, without blemish and without spot. It says it was preordained before the very foundations of the world. That's good news, amen. I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne, those four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Revelation 14, 4, it says, these are the ones that follow the lamb wherever he goes, being the first fruits. They're the redeemed, being the first fruits of God to that lamb. Revelation 17, 14, it talks about making war with the lamb, but it says that the lamb will overcome him. That's the lamb, that's Jesus, that's the one that we serve today, that we will overcome him by the blood of the lamb. So how do you defeat Satan? Well, look at this slide here in Revelation chapter 12, 11. This is where I want to park just, just for a few moments. It says this, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. So what does that mean? That we defeat Satan by the power of the clear conscience. How many know that when you're walking in sin, that there is guilt, that there is discouragement, there's all kinds of, of, of uh, resentment that we have in our lives, and we feel that there's just no way that we can overcome those things. But when we come to Jesus, and he washes us, and cleanses us, and make him Lord and Savior of our life, that there is a clear conscience that comes unto us. I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have Christ in my life. I don't know where I'd be today if I would not made that decision you know, 40 some years ago. It's made a difference in my life. The bottom line of Christianity is that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, he dies for our sins, and that through his blood that was shed, that we are forgiven, amen? And we know that we're forgiven, and he has no way to condemn us. He has no way of, of defeating us, but we defeat him by the blood of the Lamb. I want to take the moment just to read these scriptures because I think it's so important we, we grasp the word of the Lord through them. 1 John 1, 7 and 9. And I'm sorry, it's not on the screen. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us. It purifies us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. <laughs> Hebrews 9.14, how much more shall the blood of Jesus through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God to cleanse your conscience? The power, the power of a clear conscience. And through Jesus, we can have that clear conscience. The second part of that verse is to overcome them by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. It uses the there, it's a plural. So all of us partake in that testimony. All of us that come to Jesus have a testimony uh, uh, on that. And we overcome him, overcome the enemy, overcome that dragon with the word of our testimony. We heard Pastor Bianca, our children's pastor, share her testimony we heard a little bit about my testimony. But you know what? It doesn't stop there. Throughout our time on this earth, there is testimony after testimony after testimony of God's power working in us. Testimony of healing. I can have testimonies how God has healed my body. Testimony of provision. I've seen him provide in supernatural ways that, that just no way on, on this earth that we could ever explain. 
I've seen him deliver and set free and, and change people's lives in a way that, that humanly it is impossible. But thank God they have a testimony today of his saving power. He defeated Satan in the wilderness temptations, his wilderness temptations by confessing the word of God. Amen? We too are to hide God's word in our heart so we don't sin against him. And then we take that out of our heart and our mouth will confess the truth. We confess the truth of God's word. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, we use that and we cause Satan to flee. James 4 and 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So what is a testimony? By definition, testimony is a solemn declaration by a witness under oath in response to interrogation by a lawyer. Definition of testimony is an open acknowledgement, a public profession of religious experience, a divine de decree attesting uh, the scriptures, a divine experience. And that's one thing about our testimony is that no one can take that experience away from you. You've experienced it. You have firsthand knowledge of it. You, you, you would, put, uh, you would uh, have an oath to say that this is most certainly true because I experienced it. It's a testimony that we have of God's greatness. And there's no greater testimony than a changed life. Amen? It's a testimony. The word of God, by the word of God, uh, by the word of their testimony is what we're speaking here, the power of that faith confession, power of the faith confession in our life. You know, Satan will do everything he can to destroy our testimony. He'll do everything he can to, to cause that to be of, of no effect. And that's why we need the word of God and that relationship with him. And lastly, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and by not loving their lives unto death. This is the power. This, this is the power here of a totally radical dedication of the Lord. We will serve him with our whole heart. That our experiences, that our life is surrounded and, and is in, in tune to that relationship with Jesus Christ. That we're aware that, that uh, there's, there's a, a total awareness that we're in the presence of a holy, just, and almighty God. Every thought, every word, every action is open unto him and is judged by him. A recognition that he is in control, but we need to submit unto him. Power of a radical dedication. So fighting the invisible, the spiritual battle is not easy and it takes alertness and intensity of our hearts. Christians who approach their faith in a casual manner are the first ones to get wounded. Remember, as our Christian walk, as we started to grow, that there were trials and temptations and trials and, and, and uh, uh, situations that took place that, that we failed at times. But he would pick us back up and get us back on that straight and narrow once again. Fighting those invisible things. Defeating Satan and his trick, his tricks, his scheme, his plot is a full-time job. As a Christian, we need to have that word of God hidden in, in our hearts. Let me read this verse uh, out of uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll be closing uh, with just a couple more verses. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, 
and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that, you, that when that day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand at your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take that shield of faith, that you may be able to extinguish those flaming arrows, those flaming darts, those temptations that will come our way, that will come from the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It says to pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in our prayers for all believers everywhere. Satan cannot harm someone that is in the Word of God and uses the Word of God as our weapon. Satan cannot stand as we move towards a life of, of selflessness and, and put others first and, and, and witness and testify of his goodness and his greatness in our life. Matthew 6, 24, New King, New, King James, New King James Version, Jesus said this to his disciples. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take away his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Die, he says, that take up your cross daily and follow me. We're to die to our selfishness, to die to ourself. It's a crossing of two wills. It's a crossing of his will and our will. If we die to it daily, if we die to it daily, it says that we'll find victory and we'll find him in a victory that comes through Jesus Christ. So as we close, I'm going to ask Pastor Kelly to come. We talked about how do you overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb. It's that power of a clear conscience. By the word of our testimony, it's the power of that faith confession that we have. And lastly, by not loving our lives unto death. It's that power of that radical dedication. So this morning as we close, we're going to invite you to recommit your life. Rediscover your testimony. And see that you might be able to use that to, to witness and, and to change the life of another person. And I think that you'll find that's very exciting that as you do this, that, that you'll be very excited about life once again. That God will be the center of your life once again and you'll be able to have a, a life that is, is full of victory. And, and you're not going to be fighting these battles. Now, those battles will come. Trust me, they, they don't just go away. But you'll be more equipped to handle those battles that come our way. Maybe you've never asked Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior of your life. I'll tell you what, it'll make a huge difference. It'll change your life forever. You'll discover a new purpose and destiny. You'll discover a new desire to, to, to love people and you'll have a compassion like you've never felt you could have before. That God will use you in so many ways. Whether we're needing a miracle, we might need healing. I know there's testimonies in this room how God has healed them. I know there's testimonies in this room how God has, has, has done a tremendous work in, in, in ministering into our lives. So this morning, if you would stand, we're going to dismiss here in just a moment. But with that, we want to invite our prayer team to come. They're going to come up to the front, and they'll be here to pray with you. But if you need to rededicate your life, we ask you to come. If you need to rediscover that testimony and how it can be used, how it can be used in your life to minister to others, 
or maybe this is something new to you and, and you just need prayer, you need healing, you need, you need to be set free of, of some struggles that are taking place in your life, I invite you to come as well. As we close this morning, let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. And Lord, we ask God that you would minister unto our hearts right now. The Holy Spirit is moving and stirring and ministering the hearts and stirring our hearts, Lord. And, and you're drawing all men unto you, and we thank you for that. And Lord, as we confess you as Lord, Lord, we know, God, that it'll make a tremendous difference in our life because our conscience will be made clear. Lord, we'll experience, oh God, uh, the, 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 the newness of life that takes place. So we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning that we rediscover our testimony will be able to be used to witness and just share the good news of Jesus Christ to others. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.